When putting together notes for this week's podcast, I was a bit stumped with what to lead with. Kyle White's story is one full of details, each that could make for an exciting narrative in isolation. The U.S.-Canadian dual citizen went from running 100-mile weeks in the NCAA to 100-mile years for an extended period of time. Later, he returned to the sport, and last year he quit his job and pursued an Olympic trials qualifier at an age when many high-level athletes wind down their involvement at a pro level. Anyway, he ducked under that mark, 219, at last year's Chicago Marathon by mere seconds. Now, believe me when I say that, that is simplifying it a lot and leaving a lot of intriguing points out. Kyle Wyatt, editor-in-chief at the Literary Review of Canada and the only Canadian qualified for next year's U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials, joins the show this week to chat about taking a risk and making it to the Olympic Trials, next year's race in Atlanta on what will surely be a difficult course, and his bizarre introduction to the sport. My name is Michael Rokas, and you're listening to The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. All right, so I guess for starters, have you probably have the honor of being one of the most requested guests out there. Uh, multiple people have come up to me and they've said, the guy that you need to talk to is Kyle White. He has an incredible story. He, uh, you know, he doesn't get get enough attention uh, from this world. I that that's going to be my first question to you. What do you think it is about your story that you know compels people to say stuff like that and, and to follow along with with what you're doing? Oh, I don't know. Um, you know, I think part of it might be what I'm doing at the age that I'm doing it. Um, you know, it's it's kind of surreal what I've been able to do, um, having come back to the sport after uh, a good long while, like seven or eight years, really not running, certainly not competing. Um, so that might be part of it. I mean, the longer story, if you, if you go all the way back uh, to when I started running and why I started running, uh, this kind of short, fat little kid, uh, who wanted to get the internet and my parents made a bargain with me that I could get the internet. Um, if I went out for a sport or joined the band and my older brother was really into the band and, uh, I never would do anything that my older brother would do. So I said, okay, I have to join a sport. I'm the least athletic person in the world. Uh, what are my options? And, uh, cross country seemed easier than football. Uh, so that's where it got started. And then, yeah, so depending on who you talk to, what the story is, the story of when I got started and what I was able to do when I was young or the story of kind of what I've done in the last couple of years and, uh, you know, kind of going for broke last year and quitting my job and seeing if I could qualify for the Olympic trials. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of silly, I guess. Well, that, that seems like an excellent place to, to start it because you, you know, you ran in the NCAA if, if, uh, you know, I'm not mistaken, but then as you mentioned, you, you took some, some time off of the sport. So, you know, why, why the break? Why, what, you know, made you put running on the back burner? Was it, was it the, uh, the constant access to the internet, you know, like no one could take that away <laughs> from you or? So yeah, I ran, I ran for the University of Nebraska, um, when I was in college and, uh, I was, uh, on the cross country team and I was a steeplechaser. Uh, so I was junior national champion in 2001 in the steeplechase and, um, 
uh, had some success in the Big 12. Nebraska is not in the Big 12 anymore, but it was at the time. Uh, and then right after I graduated university, I, uh, I ran my first marathon in 2003. Uh, I ran a second one in 2005. And then um, the summer of 2005, I moved to Toronto uh, to start graduate school. And I think just the combination of learning a new city and um, being thrown into graduate school um, and feeling, you know, that there was no time and, and there was all this pressure, um, I kind of just let running go by the wayside. And at a certain point, um, even even when you run at a high level, like you do at um, a university with a big, big mileage um, and it's easy, uh, it feels easy or it feels good. Uh, when you kind of drop your mileage or stop running altogether, uh, the idea of running three miles or four miles, it, it almost seems pointless. Like, why would I do that? It, it, you know, if I'm not running 100 miles a week, why bother? And then it just kind of gets away from you. Um, and so all throughout graduate school, you know, I was running maybe, I don't know, 100, 150 miles a year. You know, not, not 100 miles a week, but 100 miles a year. Um, so it was, it was pretty bad. Um, and then I, uh, kind of got the itch again in, uh, 2013, um, that I wanted to see if I could, uh, run another marathon and, and maybe if I could PR again, uh, that seemed like a good idea. So I started chipping away at it again. You, you know, you come from like an, an interesting, um, you, you probably have an, a very interesting perspective on things uh, in that you have have certainly aged, but I'm sure you've matured quite a bit as well, too. You know, is are you finding enjoyment in perhaps different different facets of, of running than you did when you were, you know, late teenager, early 20s? Yeah, I think that it's, um, it was part of it's the structure, um, kind of the way that my, my coach now has been set up, um, kind of, uh, particularly the long runs are a much more interesting endeavor than they used to be. Um, they, they go by quicker, uh, because of the things he's having me do while on them. Um, I'm, I'm certainly, you know, grateful. There's a gratitude that when you're 19 years old or 20 years old and invincible, um, that you lack when you're that young. Um, so there's a gratitude of what I'm able to do now and what I'm, what I'm doing and kind of, uh, how, how, how far can I go before it's too late? Uh, when's the window about to close? And, um, yeah, so I think one of the, you know, one of the biggest challenges going from being, uh, a student athlete in a place like Lincoln, Nebraska, where you could get on a dirt road, um, very easily. You could, uh, go and run for miles without anyone interrupting you, no traffic, um, no pedestrians. Um, and then, and then training kind of at, you know, the similar volume now or, or higher volume now in downtown. Um, it's pretty difficult sometimes to find routes where you are guaranteed. You won't have to stop because of traffic or pedestrians. So there's, there, there's, there's a lot of similarities between what I was doing when I was in my early twenties and what I'm doing now. Uh, but the, yeah, there's a whole lot of differences. Uh, certainly the event is different. Um, the training environment is different and, uh, yeah, gratitude, I think is a big one. You know, I want to go back. Um, I guess, I guess it would be a little over a year ago that the entire process would start, but you mentioned that, you know, you, you quit your job, 
with the whole idea of of running the Olympic or to qualify for the American Olympic trials. Yeah. I mean, that, (laughs) that sounds like, like a story right there. So, I mean, like what, what made you do it? What made you take that, that leap? So, uh, yeah, after I graduated high school, uh, one of my friends and future teammates, um, at Nebraska, we, uh, you know, packed our backpacks and um, flew to Sacramento to watch the U.S. Olympic trials. And we had no money and we stayed in a youth hostel and we um, survived on 39 cent cheeseburgers from McDonald's for two weeks. And uh, it was just an amazing atmosphere to be at the U.S. Olympic trials and uh, to be there as spectators. And there was always that, that idea of, oh, wow, wouldn't it be great to kind of um, be here someday, you know? And, and for the longest time, I thought that ship had sailed. And then after 2017, Chicago, I ran, I had a, I had a big breakthrough. Uh, I took uh, seven minutes off my marathon PR. I ran 225 and I thought, you know, why, why not um, tilt at windmills? Why not try? Uh, and I, I, I thought it might take me two or three times to, to do it. Um, if, if at all, I, you know, I, I, there was certainly not a, um, there was no confidence, uh, that it's going to be a, a sure bet. Like it, it was going to be a gamble and what can I do to maximize my chances? And, uh, you know, I worked with words and, uh, I thought, why, why not try to, uh, freelance or, or try to work as little as possible so that I can focus on the little things that are difficult to do when you have an office job. Right. So, um, not sit at my desk all day, uh, nap when I can, uh, really focus on stretching and really focus on all of those little incidentals that you kind of brush aside when you're um, getting in from a run and then you're rushing to get to work. Um, and so I have a, uh, you know, I have a supportive partner and, uh, and thought, why not, why, why not try it? And, uh, so I quit, I quit my job and, um, and spent the next whatever, um, five or six months training, uh, with, with the goal of, of seeing what I could do and then got to October, uh, 2018 and, uh, felt pretty sure that it was at least, um, worth the gamble to go for it. And, uh, yeah, I got it barely, but I got it. Oh yeah, man. It was, it was definitely close. Why Chicago? I mean, like, Berlin, I I guess they they are both seen as fast courses, but I mean like Berlin kind of kind of has the upper hand as far as that goes. You know what what was it about Chicago that attracted you? Uh, there are a couple of things about Chicago. So ran Chicago in 2017. So there's the element of familiarity, um, and then there's also the element of time zone. Uh, it's only one time zone away. That that certainly helps. Um, and then, and then there's an, a level of support. So, uh, it's, it's easy for my parents to drive up from, from Nebraska. Uh, my coach, um, is based in Colorado, but, um, he's originally from Chicago. So, uh, it's easy for him to go. Um, and he has other athletes who are running Chicago, so he can be on the course. Um, there's a, there are a bunch of reasons, um, that Chicago made sense last year. Uh, I, my plan is to not run Chicago this fall. My plan is to go to Berlin this fall. Um, but uh, for, for the last two years, it made sense to do Chicago. But yeah, it, 
Yeah, you know, those, those last two miles of the marathon when you're running uphill on Michigan Avenue into the wind, in the rain, and you think, hmm. oh, they didn't have this weather in Berlin, you know, last month. <laughs> so uh, there's, there's definitely considerations that, that, uh, um, that, that make Chicago not quite as perfect as, as sometimes it is in my head. Okay, so you needed a 219 to get into to the American uh, Olympic Marathon Trials. You ended up running a 21856. 55. <sighs> Don't take that second away. Okay, so 21855. All right, 21855. Uh, I mean, what were your thoughts when when you first cro- crossed that line? I mean, like this is something that you like you gambled so much to, to get this and yeah. like you just snuck underneath. I mean, like I, I can't even imagine what that would have felt like. I was surreal. You know, I, um, I ran the first, uh, you know, 23 and a half, 24 miles more or less, uh, side by side with, with Eric bang. And then with about, um, 3000 meters to go, Bridget Kosky caught up to us. Uh, on her way to running, I think, what, the seventh fastest uh, women's time ever uh, at the time. Um, and, uh, and, and shortly after that, uh, uh, kind of lost contact uh, with Eric and had lost contact with, with Kosky and um, running up Michigan Avenue in the rain, in the wind. And um, it was about uh, 2,000 meters to go that um, my partner, Trevor, and uh, my coach uh, were on the side of the road, and uh, my coach, uh, you know, yelled, "You have six minutes to do this. Um, you have six minutes." And in my head, it it's like, well, running a two thousand, running two thousand meters in under six minutes is not a problem. Um, that's fine, but that's that's like practice, Kyle. <laughs> At the end of a marathon, Kyle, it's a whole different ball game, you know, and. Um, so uh, with with 800 meters to go, you um, you kind of turn uh, to go up that last hill, and and as I was turning, I saw my dad, and uh, you get up to the top of the hill, and then you turn one last time, you turn left to go uh, to the finish line, and it's about 400 meters, and, and I looked at my watch uh, with 400 meters to go, and I thought, oh my God, that's the, that's the slowest 400 meters I have ever run, and uh, yeah, I just had to go, and. Um, I think if you if you see me crossing the finish line uh, on on the broadcast, um, I am not stopping. I'm not slowing down. I am taking no chances to get through. And uh, so I finished, and um, it was surreal. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. You know, I kind of choked up for a minute, and, um, and then it was get me out of these white clothes. I need to get you know I need to get to the tent. <laughs> but it was a pretty surreal moment. So you you got the OTQ. And I think something that, that, you know, most people, most runners can, can really identify with would be, you know, BQing, you know, qualifying for the, for the Boston Marathon. Now, you know, obviously a lot of training goes into that, um, but how they attack the race that they qualified for, it varies. I mean, like some people, you know, view the race as, as a celebration and, and are just happy to be there. You know, some people try and PB or, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of different ways that they attack that, that race that they work so hard to qualify for. Right. You know, in, in your case, how are you viewing the, the Olympic trials? I mean, like, what are you hoping to get out of going to Atlanta? I mean, the Olympic trials for me are 
uh, you know, it, it, it's that's that's going to be the that's going to be the pinnacle. Um, it's going to be the most competitive race I ever run. I mean, it's crazy the depth of uh, the Olympic trials so far. Uh, two weeks ago in Duluth, something like seventy people qualified for the trials, um, which is you know just just it, the depth is going to be great and to be able to be there and to be able to uh, to run it with um, you know probably. Uh, the likelihood that four years from now I won't be able to qualify again. Um, uh, it's it's kind of like the the you know the exclamation point. Um, not to say I'm going to stop running, but uh, yeah. It so so the the goal is to to be as fit and um, focused as possible come February 29th, 2020. Uh, I certainly don't think I'll run a very fast marathon in Atlanta. Uh, I was able to go see the course uh, this past February. Uh, It's a four-loop course, and uh, there was a race where we ran one loop. Uh, We ran the final loop, and uh, it is a a hilly, hilly course, and it's tough, and there are lots of hairpin turns, and um, and there's a lot of tactical running that's going to be involved. So I'm not going to go to Atlanta with the hope of running – you know, 216 or 215 and, and saying that that was the highlight of my career. Um, I don't, I don't think a lot of guys are going to be running personal bests in Atlanta. Uh, but to be able to go to Atlanta and to say that I competed, I competed with these guys. I competed as seriously as I could and that I didn't at age 38, which I'll be in 2020, uh, embarrass myself in front of the 23 year olds. Um, so that's the goal, uh, to run, as fast as I can, uh, and mostly as competitive as I can on, on the course. There's been so much chatter about uh, the Atlantic course and how it's uh, how it's it's going to be quite challenging. Like you said, you know, really, really hilly. You know, there there's uh, people look at something like Berlin, which is just flat, fast, you know, all out sort of time trial, and it has lots of spectators, but people will also tune into, you know, Boston, or they'll tune into New York, which, which are, you know, typically a little more of a race, I guess you could say, you know, people competing against other people. Do you think that they made made the right call by, you know, having this, you know, more difficult uh, of course? You know, I, I, I was really impressed with the Atlantic track club when I was there in February. And I think you have to um, pay a lot of respect to what they're able to do um, and, and what they incorporated in their bid for, for the event. Um, you know, the fact that all of us are going to be treated the same as soon as we arrive at the airport to when we leave, everyone's being treated the same. Um, we're all getting, uh, our rooms paid for. We're all getting help with travel. We all get bottles. Um, I think that's that's huge. And the way that the course is designed, you know, mimics a lot of the things that you would see in a world caliber, uh, world or Olympic caliber race. Right, hairpin turns that are great for a camera, um, and and things like that. And the way that it's set up, uh, it's going to be, it's probably going to be the most amazing experience um, in terms of spectator support. Uh, people are going to be able to see us multiple times without moving. Um, you know, they'll be able to just watch us over and over and over. And if they do want to move just a little bit, you know, they'll be able to see, see us, you know, eight, nine, 10 times uh, throughout the race. Uh, so that's, that's really exciting. And, 
Yeah, I think, you know, what has happened with the Olympic standards and, and qualifying for the Olympics um, at the IAAF level and kind of those standards coming out after Atlanta won the core, um, won the event and after the, the course was designed, you know, maybe, maybe there could have been some finessing. Um, but from, from my perspective, as somebody who's, uh, I have no chance of making the top three, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm dreading the hills, uh, but I'm, I'm really excited for the event. I'm really excited for the atmosphere. And, uh, and I think that they're going to put on uh, a pretty, pretty spectacular uh, kind of program for us. That was one thing that uh, that really stood out to me was the number of loops that that were happening. I, there's a lot of conversation about how we attract new viewers um, to the sport, and and you know how do we get people engaged with with it? Do you think the the loops are going to do that? Do you think that is that's the answer to to bring more eyes to the marathon? Uh, yeah, I think that you know in this case it, it's going to be it's going to make for good TV. Um, I think. I think they're, you're going to be able to get a lot more athletes at a, a lot different levels exposed. Um, it's not just going to be uh, the lead vehicles filming the top men and the top women. I think you're going to you're going to see a lot more stuff throughout the race, which I, I hope will make for good TV if it's produced properly. And and then the timing of the trials, uh, the 29th of February, uh, and then March 1st being the Atlanta Marathon. Um, having however many thousands of people who are racing the Atlanta marathon in town and on the course, watching uh, the Olympic trials the day before, I think it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's a gift to us as the, as the people running the race to have them on the, on the, on the course cheering. Uh, But it's also kind of a gift to, uh, to them to be able to watch uh, some of the best athletes in in the United States compete, you know? Um, So I think that that combination uh, of TV friendly, but also really spectator friendly. Um, you know, even if it doesn't produce the right times, I think they have a model. Uh, they have a model that hopefully other cities can replicate. You you mentioned all these uh, all these different things that are attached to this course. You know, the different features like the the hills and the hairpin turns. Um, you know, also knowing or having read a little bit about your coach. Um, you know, he's with the with the Roots Running Project. Yeah, I mean, like, has has there been any changes to your training to kind of adapt to you know this this special this special case of a course? Um, I think that uh, I think that one of the biggest changes um, since since seeing the course uh, in in February is where I where I tend to go on even just my easy days. So I live. Um, I live right off the, the Don Valley Trail in Toronto, and so so the default often is to get into the Don Valley, uh, head out to the Leslie Spit, uh, or to run on Martin Goodman, um, because you can get there very quickly. You can more or less go quite a ways without stopping, and it's easy. Um, <laughs> it's not hilly. Uh, so what I'm what I'm trying to do a lot more now, and instead of just the default of going to the Spit or uh, going into the Don, is um, spending a lot more time kind of going northeast in Toronto. So running things like Kingston Road, running a lot more on Bayview, spending a lot more time in Mount Pleasant Cemetery on the west side. Um, so a lot of those things, just familiarizing myself again with hills. I came from a really hilly place uh, in high school. I, I grew up in a very hilly place. And, um, and people think that Lincoln and Nebraska in general are flat, but 
it's certainly not the case when you're running there. It is, is a hilly place. Um, and so I'm used to hills um, historically. Uh, so just trying to remind myself of, of um, doing those hills. And um, even if it means stopping for a few more traffic lights, um, that's one of the big changes that we've, we've incorporated since, uh, since I qualified. You know, um, speaking of hills or, or perhaps lack of them, you mentioned earlier that you want to run Berlin this fall. You know, there's been a lot of talk amongst uh, various American racers how they will not be uh, running fall marathons in preparation for the, for the end of February. It, you know, is that something that, that crossed your mind and, and what are the goals for Berlin? Yeah, you know, I, I, I have thought about it, um, about not doing a race uh, this fall or, or maybe just doing a half. Um, the plan right now is Berlin. Um, and the goal is to, you know, hopefully I'm in pretty good shape. Hopefully I'm fit and, and uh, maybe, maybe Berlin can be um, a PR or, you know, like something fast in a way that Atlanta won't. Um, so, so go and try it. You know, if, you, if you're building towards kind of the pinnacle marathon uh, of your career, you might as well try to get a fast one in on the way. Um, so that's, that's one consideration. I've also never raced with bottles and um, we'll have bottles in Atlanta. And I don't want to show up in Atlanta having never raced with bottles and uh, Berlin will give me bottles. So um, to have the opportunity to, to have that experience in a race, um, is also a, a consideration. So, uh, yeah, the goal is to, to go to Berlin, run super fast, uh, learn how to use a bottle, uh, while running and, um, and, and then get a couple more weeks of recovery or a couple more weeks between a marathon and the trial. So I, I get two more, two more extra weeks, uh, if I do something like Berlin compared to Chicago again. I think we'd uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, cover some of the some of the context for why you're running the the American trials. I mean, you you are Canadian, but you can also run down there as well too. Maybe, maybe <laughs> yeah. you should uh, maybe maybe we should go down that road. I mean, what? How can you do both? And why is it important to you that that you run the the American trials? Uh, I think. Yeah, so so I'm a dual citizen. I um, I'm from from Nebraska originally. I moved here in 2005, and I became a citizen uh, in 2015. And um, and so uh, I, I retain my U.S. citizenship. Um, I have a USATF number. I have a, a Alex Canada number. Um, the reason why I want to run the Olympic trials in the United States uh, it, again is not for some sense of, uh, uh, of delusion that I might qualify or anything, but it is, um, it's just that thing that, that I've, uh, you know, dreamed of doing since, since I was 18 years old, um, is an opportunity that somehow presented itself. Even, even, even though I thought I was tilting at windmills and it would never actually happen, it did. Um, and it's, it's just a different, um, it's just a different experience. It, it's kind of the size and scale of experience that, that doesn't exist uh, at the marathon level uh, in in Canada in, in quite the same way. You know, there's amazing marathoners in Canada, uh, particularly right now what's happening, um, but it's not quite the, uh, you know, 200 people uh, or so, whatever it will be in Atlanta um, going for it, you know? Uh, so, um, yeah, I get, to, I, I get to kind of dip my toe in both buckets in this case. 
you know, you've you've been notably pretty quiet about your running. Uh, you know, especially considering your your career choice, which we'll 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 get into in a little bit. But uh, I noticed on on your Instagram account um, at Useless Poetry for those who are inclined <laughs> um, that that there's going to be some sort of um, you know a photo project. It, it looks like maybe maybe some video, but it looks like like a photo project, and uh, you might actually write about it yourself. Now, why don't you write about it? And you know, how did this this photo project come about? Right. So my my partner's brother is a photographer and videographer and uh, wants to wants to document this. And he asked if uh, if I was game. And I kind of thought, yeah, this is you know this is this is this is a one off. It's not going to happen. Like I said, I I don't think it's going to happen in four years. I don't think I'll be able to do it when I'm 42. And um, why not try to preserve it? And maybe it will force me to um, actually write kind of write about this experience and write about some of the ups and downs of the experience, uh, not just the trials, but the training and, and the doubt and the, uh, the victories and the, the defeats and, and all of that, write about it in a more um, narrative way than, than just my training log uh, where I, you know, am very, very to the point and uh, mostly number driven. You know your your job is as the at, at the Literary Review of Canada as the editor in chief. You know a lot of people. I think you know there's quite a few people who would know you strictly as that, and they wouldn't know you as the runner. You know how how often do these two worlds cross over? Do you find that that people know you as as both, or do do you think that they only know you as one, or they know you as the other? Um, I think, I think more people in my, in my writing and editing world know that I'm a marathoner than people in the running world know that I'm an editor. Uh, I think that's maybe true. Um, uh, you know, after, after I qualified for, uh, the trials at Chicago, um, I, uh, I was just going to continue doing what I was going to continue doing what I was doing, which is uh, freelancing. And then in, in December, I was um, given the opportunity to, to become the editor of, of the LRC, which was kind of my dream job. And uh, it came out of nowhere. Um, and, uh, and so to, to have that opportunity uh, to kind of um, pursue, pursue writing and editing um, it has been great. Um, it's been a challenge to, um, to kind of balance the demands of the dream job uh, with the demands of chasing the dream. Um, but uh, I, I, I hope I'm figuring it out. You know, there's there's always such talk about um, about life balance, you know, about not making, you know, running or one thing, you know, your entire identity or your your entire life. You know, you've technically got two things that, that you know, you could make your identity and, and you could make your entire life. How, how do you balance the two? Oh, I don't know. Ask me in uh, ask me in February twenty twenty, and I'll <laughs> I'll tell you. Um, it's it's a challenge. You know, it's it's a it's a challenge. Uh, particularly, um, you know, a magazine is a very cyclical thing. Um, uh, this this past week has been uh, a more challenging week than next week will be. 
um, because the magazine is about to go to press. And so um, you're dealing with all of the all of the loose ends. You're dealing with the pieces that are late. You're dealing with uh, the writers who are anxious. You're dealing with um, the um, edits that need to be input from the copy editor. You're dealing with all of those things. You wake up in the morning uh, and you have to um, choose, do I go for my run and get it done or do I start this uh, to-do list that has ballooned over, uh, over the course of um, the eight hours I've been asleep? And to kind of juggle those things is, um, is tricky. And, and because, because the LRC is, because I'm the editor-in-chief, um, it is a it is a serious reflection of, of me um, in a way that working a normal office job and just kind of punching the clock uh, is not. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of me in the magazine, and there's a lot of me um, in 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 putting it together um, in a way that you know, when I when I worked in corporate communications. Uh, the demands were were high, but um, not quite the same. So, juggling it is um, it's been a learning process, and um, I think I'm doing better at it now than I was in February. And uh, I hope you know in, in September I'm doing better than I'm doing right now. So uh, we'll see. Hopefully, I can perfect it uh, before uh, before February 2020. Well, I think people will be able to to believe that you are, in fact, the editor-in-chief at the Literary Review of Canada, especially since you used one of my favorite uh, turns of phrase, the, the tilting at windmills. Uh, yeah, very good reference there. Um, yeah, man, congratulations on, on making it. Uh, you know, obviously a, a dream come true for you. And uh, we'll, we'll, you. we'll definitely be following along, you know, as, as this whole thing, uh, you know, uh, unwinds and and we get close to that date but uh yeah man just biggest congratulations and thanks for taking some time to be on the show this week man oh it was it was my pleasure i really appreciate it big thanks Cal, for joining us this week and as always a lot of appreciation to track you for their ongoing sport if you like this be sure to check out our other episodes featuring great canadian running talent new interviews coming out weekly as well as a quick recap of events at the beginning of every week Find all that wherever you found this, whether it be tracky.ca, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. And while you're there, rate, subscribe, and review. It all helps us out, and we always enjoy hearing your feedback. On social media, we're at the Terminal Mile. My name is Michael Rokas. Thanks to you for listening, and remember, support your local Twilight Meet.